The reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, starting at the first verse. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Carrie. Well, good morning. Um, my name's John Cole. I've been a member of the congregation here for about six years now, and it's my privilege to be able to share with you today um, what I think God has put on my heart over um, the lost sheep. Um, we are today starting a, um, a four-part series on the theme of things that are lost and found. And um, uh, Jesus tells parables on this theme, as we know, and um, no spoilers, but um, there is another parable on the lost coin and the lost or the prodigal son, but I won't go into those today because today, as we've heard from our reading in Luke 15, verses 1 to 7, is around the lost sheep. Now, I love this image um, that you can see on the screen here because often I think in my mind when I've thought of a lost sheep, I come from a kind of a thinking of what is a sheep like in the nice, neat fields around here in Salisbury, where it goes out, maybe jumps over a hedge to another field. But, but in this image, you've got a sheep that's gone to a really hard, tough place. It's gone to a really dangerous place. And the shepherd has gone and reached out to that sheep in that tough place. The, the other thing I like about this image um, is that you can see the sheep kind of turning to the shepherd. And there's, in my mind, my interpretation of this is there's an acceptance of the shepherd's reach. Um, so I think it's a powerful, powerful image. So let me paint some, some context on, on why Jesus did a parable on the lost sheep. I mean, at the time of the parable being spoken, there were sheep everywhere. Uh, sheep were very practical. They were needed for wool fleece, for milk, for meat, for sacrifice. Um, and of course, you know, we're very privileged and it was great to hear a prayer for the wonders of the beauty in the countryside around us here in Wiltshire. We do have sheep in the fields, but I should imagine not that many people here today have sheep in their households or in their street or, uh, or, or whatever. I certainly don't. Um, but it would have been very common and understood and, and people would have known the nature of sheep, which is that they tend to wander. And in the Psalms, in several places, and in the prophets following, um, the people of God are often referred to as sheep. Um, so it's throughout the Bible we will hear that. And normally with sheep there are shepherds. Um, and we know that we need shepherds because sheep have this tendency to wander. 
In Matthew 26, Jesus quotes from Zechariah and he describes himself as the shepherd. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd. Now also, the word shepherd is used more generally elsewhere in the Bible as a general term for a leader. Um, In Ezekiel 14, there's a whole chapter dedicated to sheep and shepherds, and there's probably an entire sermon in that. Um, But I would categorize it in two halves. In in the first half of the chapter, um, it's a warning to leaders, um, human leaders, about not being greedy in positions of being shepherds, um, not seeking their own self-means, self-worth, and um, the spoils of uh, the opportunity. In the second half, it is a warning to the sheep, to the flock, um, about not trampling on good grass that other sheep might also want to eat, about not muddying the water that other sheep might want to drink from. So I think in both cases, the message there in Ezekiel 14 is to the shepherd and to the sheep not to be selfish. So in this context of sheep throughout the Bible, what was actually going on at this point when Jesus raised the parable of the lost sheep? So let us just stick to Luke uh, that we have read from. So earlier in the book, in Luke 5, um, he was challenged by the Pharisees. And they said, why are you spending time with all these sinners? And Jesus responded to them, and he he pointed out to him that he is called to reach those sinners. In Luke 6, he points out to everyone their hypocrisy. This is where we hear about specks of dust and planks in one's eyes. We all have sin. Then in Luke 7, he forgives a sinful woman who pours tears out at his feet and washes his feet and washes them with perfume, and he forgives her. And then further on in chapter 14, there's talk of a banquet for all, and people are warned not to assume the top table, but that it is available for all to be in the banquet. So this is the context of of this parable here, where Jesus is being challenged, and people don't seem to be hearing those messages that we are all sinners, that Jesus is called to reach us, that we have to guard against hypocrisy, that we can be forgiven, and there is a banquet and a place for us all at his table. But here we are again in Luke 15, again Jesus being challenged Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here we are, and he turns to a parable. I think if I were to summarize the parable in one sentence, I would say it is this. Um, Now we have um, a fantastic thing set up where Jean uh, runs what I describe as kind of preacher school, where those of us that get the chance to preach occasionally, we all gather in his garden, have fantastic uh, bacon butties. Um, I'm not sure which member of the household prepares them, but I'm not sure that Jean prepares them as much as he shares eating them with us. But it's, um, 
it's always great, but I, I remember the thing that I took away from the last one is try and think about, you know, what does, what does your message have in one sentence? And for me, this is what I think the parable is saying to us, which is, we have all fallen short. But there is good news. Our Heavenly Father pursues us. Our Heavenly Father pursues us. Now, excuse the pun, but I'm actually going to stray away from sheep a bit here um, and talk about a personal example. Um, over a decade ago, I was on a family holiday with my four now adult children. And um, we went to a place in Pembrokeshire, southwest Wales, one of my most favorite places. And we decided to go surfing to a beach called Freshwater West. You can see it pictured down at the bottom left. Beautiful rolling beach. It's pretty much the last place you go to until you kind of go out to what seems like the Atlantic and America. And it's a long way. And there's a lot of sea out there. And we're very blessed in the UK, aren't we, with lifeguards on a lot of our big popular beaches. Now, those lifeguards, they're not quite omnipresent like our Lord, but there's a lot of them, and they're watching out for us. And they have rules, don't they? They, they, they put up signs. Uh, they sometimes put out buoys. They certainly put up flags and move the flags around. I'd describe those rules as perhaps more of a code than a, than a law that's imposed upon us. You know, they can't enforce it upon us. And um, on this day, um, we, we knew that there was going to be some great waves. That, you know, we love surfing. Um, there's going to be some great waves down at Freshwater West. So we thought, let's go down there and see the waves. Now, there was, um, there was a bit of the beach that was marked off as not to go to because there was a rip current. And I don't know how many people here have been witnesses or experienced being a rip current, but it's very scary. It's very dangerous. It's strong. It's uncontrollable. And... To me, you can draw a parallel to sin, can't you? It's this powerful thing that can draw you, and you can actually be overwhelmed by it. Anyway, in my arrogance, I thought that I knew better and that I could go surfing where the great waves were out of this particular place where the lifeguards had suggested we didn't go. I was with one of my, one of, one of my children. I, I haven't uh, sought their permission to share this example, so I will anonymize which one of them it was. Um, but I, the two of us went out and uh, thought we could cope alone. And, of course, the inevitable happened. We started getting ripped out to sea. It became very scary. We were trying to do it in our own strength. We were trying to fight it in our own strength, and we couldn't. But, but then the other thing that strikes me is I was so embarrassed and so ashamed of what I'd done, I kind of didn't do what you're meant to do in that situation, which is wave your arm to the lifeguards. By the way, don't ever wave at a lifeguard thinking you're saying hello. That's not what they think you're saying. Um, so I didn't do that because I was so embarrassed and ashamed. But it's amazing because they were there. They were watching everyone. They were watching the complicit, well-behaved people in the shallows where they should have been. But they could see us. And they were watching us. And they came out to us, two strapping young men on these huge yellow surfboards came out to us put their arms out and we put our arms out to them and they dragged us and with their strength, with their boards and with their understanding of the water they brought us back to shore and then they didn't tell us off they didn't judge us, they didn't shout at me for being irresponsible which I was um, they just let me apologise 
I thanked them, and they wandered off, and they went back to their ladders and jeeps and got their binoculars out, and they just carried on watching, looking out for other people. And we were so thankful, you can imagine. So it's a very powerful experience I had there. So back to sheep. Um, I'd like to pose four questions, if I may. So firstly, do we associate in this parable with the 99, or do we associate with the one? I mean, the Pharisees assumed that they weren't the sinners. You know, why is Jesus addressing sinners, these other people? Um, Jesus chooses not necessarily to address that at this particular point. He's already done so when, when talking about hypocrisy, as I, as I shared a minute ago. But I think there is a warning to us here as well, because I think sometimes I can consider myself in the 99, not the one. And I think I need to recognize that I too wander. I too have been distracted. I've been like a sheep pursuing what I think is greener grass. We think we know better than the shepherd. And we sometimes forget about the shepherd. So yes, I think there's been seasons and times in my life where I've been the wandering sheep. But even actually, if I think about it, every day I sometimes put myself first and I choose to be distracted or pursue other greener grass or to think about things that are not of God and forget about the shepherd. In Romans 3, verses 9 to 20, Paul says that we are all under sin. Paul quotes some Psalms and says, there is no one righteous, not even one. But there is good news. Following that, Paul then, in verses 23 to 24 of Romans uh, 3, says, all have sinned and fallen short. But the good news here is that we are justified by grace through redemption. So we have all sinned and fallen short, but we are justified by grace through redemption. And I think that's a, that allows us to be in the sheepfold. It allows us to be in that flock until maybe we start wandering again, jumping over a hedge or going down a cliff edge, whatever we do. The second point the obvious point that follows that is that the Father pursues us. Why does he pursue us? It's because he loves us. 1 John 4, verses 9 to 10, we are told the Father sent his Son to pursue us because he wants us in his sheepfold. He wants us united in relationship with him. So that's why he pursues us. Is there a cost to that? Yes, there is. Jesus came down to earth from the Father to us, to our place, our place of peril, of danger, of messiness. And the cost ultimately led to his death to allow us reconciliation with the Father. So thank God for pursuing us, for loving us, and paying that price. Do we allow him to pursue us? Or do we hide some or all of our lives from him? So thirdly, I think we are likewise called to follow Jesus. I think we're called to follow what he modeled. 
In John 21, Peter is told, feed my sheep. Three times. In Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. So I think we are called to follow the example of Jesus and to be shepherds ourselves. We can never be the good shepherd, but we can be shepherds, we can be leaders, and we can fulfill what he has commissioned us to do through his spirit. And I think my fourth point, and it's very clear in this passage we've read, is about celebration and a thankful heart. I'll, I'll read again what it said here, which is, um, and when he finds it, he, he, referring to the sheep and the shepherd, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you it in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99. What is our attitude? Our attitude to being pursued and saved. Do we have a thankful heart? Do we have a spirit of celebration to that? So there my my ponders, if you like. Consider yourself not just the 99 in God's grace, but recognize and acknowledge that you can also be the one who is fallen short but you are justified by grace. Secondly, that the Father pursues us. And thirdly, we're called to do likewise. And fourthly and finally, what is our attitude of celebration of that? So back to, to lifeguards. So, as I said, I wasn't asked at the end of that experience to, um, to pay them any money. I mean, it sometimes would happen, for example, on a, on a ski resort. If someone gets helicoptered away, they normally, you hear stories about people having to get credit cards out and things. These lifeguards just left us on the beach, you know, made sure we were okay, and they just went back. So I, I couldn't possibly just leave it there with an apology. I felt, not through compulsion, but through my free will, I wanted to respond with gratitude. I wanted to respond with thanks and celebration. So... I did it in only the way that someone slightly crazy like me would choose to do, which is to go and run the London Marathon in aid of the lifeboats or the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. And um, through the generosity of lots of friends and family, I raised about two and a half thousand pounds, a huge sum of money. And um, actually, in the grand scheme of things, it sounds like a huge sum of money, but, but, but it's not. If you think about what was done for me, a small response to give something back just seems so small. But it was my response. It was what I could do within my power. So much more is God's power in our response to what he has done for us um, by allowing him to pursue us. Despite falling short, we can receive his promises and blessings. And in Acts 2, 38 to 39, we are told, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.
So to conclude, I, I remind you of that single sentence, which I hope you can remember as you, as you reflect, hopefully, on some of these words today and from this parable, which is that we have all fallen short. But the good news is that God pursues us. And for others who have fallen short, over whom we pray and bless and want good things for, they too have fallen short and God pursues them. Amen.